Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 3 The Leaving She left. A single bundle slung over a shoulder made up her supplies. The soft movement of her feet past the old door of her parents' room accompanied a disdain in her mind, listening to the low sound of their two sleeping breaths. She paused a moment to let her thought fall in the air. You have not helped me. Yours are the clinging arms. I will beat past them and find the summer and my hearts, and they will grow without you. Soon the sun-filled air touched her cheeks. In a handful of days, she would reach her fifteenth winter. She found the road wearying, though the day was fair. She had walked already far enough to be unable, when she turned, to see her home any longer in the distance, and she was filled with a frightening sense of excitement. Now every step she took was new took her to land her feet had never touched. By the afternoon she had passed between the hills at the northernmost edge of their valley, her legs, slender still for all her gained winters, began aching soon, and to distract her thoughts from this unpleasant sensation she let her eyes linger on the treetops, trying to learn their patterns of leaf and bough. Near her home they had mostly poplar, and these trees were different. They branched out swifter from the base, put out a thicker flurry of leaves. She thought she could see some sort of nut in clusters, right? She tumbled sideways, startled by a ponderous blow to her side. Some several moments of reconnoitering revealed what had happened— her distraction had led her into the path of a wagon, lumbering leisurely down the road's centre and drawn by a pair of oxen, one of whose lurching buttocks had unceremoniously transferred her to the side of the road. Oi! shouted a voice from within the wagon. Pollocks, you oaf! What are you... And over the side peeped a girl's pointed face, pale lichen green, eyes blurry from recent sleep, the wagon rolled to a stop several yards past the girl with her calico bundle. Good like, the girl said, leaping over the wagon side. You all right? She nodded. Jan, said the pixie, thrusting a hand out to help her up. But the introduction bit confused her, and she shook the hand rather than grasping it, which produced laughter. Well, that also, but I meant to pull you up. 
said Jan. Oh, said the girl, and let her. Need a ride? Where do you walk? What's your name? Yes, thank you, she said, brushing her skirts free of dirt. I suppose... Lara. I don't know where I'm going. My heart... She stopped, suddenly shy or wary, not sure if she should tell a stranger of that warmest, most cutting of secrets. A stranger could not understand. Come up then, Lara, said Jan, already in the wagon. Her hand reached once more. The oxen, shifting, knocked the wagon about, and Jan shouted cheerily at them to hold their great lummoxy selves still. Lara seized the hand, and soon found herself nestled between two sacks of grain, bobbing side to side as the wagon moved off. Jan had a family in the heart of a nearby city. The houses arched across branches of trees, with walkways and other slung methods of communication and commerce connecting them. Lara had never seen such trees. Thick, bold, slick, with some brave copper growth toward their bases, and springing out into sturdy limbs high above her head. She supposed she could stack ten of herselves up before the topmost's fingertips touched the lowest of the walkways. As it was turning to autumn, she saw a little green among the masses of leaves, in shape an odd, almost circular type. They waxed and waned between a copper similar to that of the base lichen, a scarlet wine-deep color and flaring gold. Once, glancing over her shoulder the way they had come, she caught a fleeting glimpse of a spray of these leaves edged gloriously in the last sun's light, and the water stood in her eyes unbidden. But the city itself presented her with a heavier bustle of activity than she had known for all her life. Jan's quick movements, sudden bursts of laughter, and sprightly eyes made better sense in such a background. Lara felt at a loss, her elbows slow to keep from banging passers-by, her thoughts slow to observe what she saw, ten things to a second. They drew up to a cluster of buildings, plain on the ground. Stables, Jan said, for the oxen, who could not make the ascent, nor sleep in trees if they got there. She jumped from the wagon to help Jan wrestle with Pollux and Major. Jan flicked her fingers to the reins, various catches and buckles for Lara to undo. Hungry as a cart horse, me, she said gaily. You like yam? Her knuckles flashed briefly beside Pollux's bit, and the ox belled and dipped its heavy head, loosed. When she noticed Lara's confused expression, she added, A sweet ground root. We had ground roots at home, of a few kinds, Lara said tentatively. Carrots, potato. I don't remember eating yam. You like it, 
said the other girl, who joined Lara beside Major to finish the last unfastenings. She turned, took the lead halter for Pollux, and motioned for Lara to follow with Major. Aima makes them whenever I come home. She knows my teeth hanker after them. Roasted whole or boiled and mashed with dark sugar. Oh, you've never known the like. Her eyes, green gold as new spring shoots, rolled upward in a private, remembering ecstasy. Lara smiled. Jan's mother and father carried earthenware dishes to the table where the girls sat. Lara's fingers followed the grooved, cool perimeter of her own plate, watching the thick steam that rose from the platters. Across from her, over the shoulder of one of Jan's younger siblings, there were five altogether, a window bared the city outside to her. She watched a trio of straining workers hauling at ropes, a bound platform rose, with someone seated in the center. Jan and Lara had ascended in this fashion. The chatter surrounding her grew sharp to her right, with two of the little ones fighting over a rounded yam. Jan's mother stood when one called the other a nasty name. Shink, she said, her voice grave. Make your heart listen. That word is not for your sister. The offending little one lowered her head and gave up the yam. Almost asleep that night, Lara asked Jan, lowly, what her mother's reply had meant. Jan turned her head on the pillow where she lay across the dim room. Ama meant it to bring the warmth back, she said. The little ones know less about it. They forget their risk in fighting, but for them they are too small to have passed the time of heart sea death. She rolled up suddenly to an elbow. It must have been the same with you, she said, puzzled. Don't you remember? Lara shook her head, dull. The warmth. Her voice shook. The summer's warmth. Lara stared. A stranger, she had thought could not understand. What was this? Did Jan, like all other living things, know the secret she herself did not? The summer? I am seeking the summer. I read of it. I want it. I don't know where to go, but I am going there now. Good like, Jan murmured and was silent for a while as some revelation unknown to Lara struggled to the surface of her countenance. Jan pulled her knees to her chest, curled her arms about them. Oh, Lara, I didn't know. What? Lara cried. Tell me, she thought, please tell me it means something for my heart, I know it. Listen, Jan said, tumbling to her knees beside Lara's pallet. I can't... If I had a thought of it before... I'm not saying it's right. But I've been... Waiting for you. I didn't know it was you, but... I was waiting. 
do you understand? I can't explain. She dragged her hands back through her short hair, then took Lara's hands impulsively in her own. I know you must... It must seem so clouded to you, so strange. But it will be all right. Lara's throat closed up. Frustration? Sorrow? She did not know. Jan's hands released hers. Lara felt weary all on a sudden and nodded. All right, she said as Jan rolled back over to her own pallet. Before she fell asleep, she thought she heard Jan's voice weeping or speaking lowly, but in the morning she could not remember if it had been a dream or reality. The next day she spent time with Jan's family, quietly observant. She wondered if Jan remembered their talk of the night before, but felt too shy to ask. Would she stay long here? Jan and her father and mother, the children called them Ada and Aima, respectively. Lara could not remember calling her parents anything sat in conference to one side of the kitchen, murmuring in low voices. She herself sat cross-legged beside the littlest one of the family, a girl child of perhaps four or five winters. The girl's small knuckles dimpled at their slow work, folding colored paper into concentric chains for some purpose Lara could not make out. At her foot, a heap of Millefiori links lay. Where do they go? she said finally to the little girl. Two solemn eyes looked up at her frankly. Amos garden? I hang them in the garden. Outside? The child nodded. Come see with me? She indicated her heap. Oh, Lara said, yes, please. Gathering up her chain with an end trailing after her on the ground, the little girl took Lara's hand and brought her back behind the house, out a rough wooden door to a light veranda of sorts. They were still some fifty feet in the air, and the slats of the veranda let the distant ground peep up through the cracks, giving Lara an uneasy feeling of precariousness that seemed not to touch the child. Perhaps habit barred it. But before her, in a surprising verisimilitude of her mother's garden at home, sprang the small leaves and blossoms and growth of winters of work. Lara blinked, not seeing the pots for soil that she knew must be here, so far off the ground. The flowers, the vines heavy with fruit or petal, the green, fragrant herbs. They grew, it seemed, directly from the slats of the veranda. She knelt beside a cluster of ground violets, and between their dark, cheerful faces she saw the glints of light and earth below, 
distant grass, then the tiny head and shoulders of a man passing by. When she turned to a rose bush next to her, she confusedly followed its roots with her fingertips. Several ran across the boards and through cracks where she could follow them no more. Several sunk into the wood of the veranda, which rose up to meet it in crumbles very like the earth itself. She shook her head. Where had the child gone? Amos Garden, said the girl from behind her, a smile in the words. Lara noticed that the low wooden wall, no more than two feet in height and running around the veranda, had branches growing straight up from its lip at intervals. On these the child was hanging her rainbow of links. Lara stood and touched the nearest branch where it joined the veranda railing. Here, too, the joining mirrored that of branches to trees, a perfectly organic union, as though the railing itself had sent forth the shoots, as though its wood lived still, consenting to grow in the shape of a fifty-foot-high patio garden. How? Lara paused, turning to the child. I don't understand how the plants grow without soil. Oh, Ava doesn't grow earth plants but inside. Parts of them. The cat bats at their petals. Out here is only heart plants. Lara's breathing caught in her throat. What? The little girl squinted at her. Heart plants. From her heart. They grow from her heart. She spoke as though explaining to an infant. Lara could say nothing. Don't you know heart plants? I don't... Lara stared at the brilliant open goblets of the roses, nodding at the ends of their stems. My heart isn't... My... The child's eyes widened in sudden understanding. It's dead still, she said. You are dead? When Lara made no reply, she lowered her voice and said sternly, Don't you know that's bad? Aisha, come here. Jan's mother stood at the open doorway behind them. The little girl padded over to her mother, who leaned down and spoke gently into her ear. The girl flushed and nodded, dashing indoors. Please, said Jan's mother to Lara, extending her hand. Come inside. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Benavraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon. We make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, 
you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much. <laughs>